And Jesus said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. And we take for our, <coughs> for our text again this week, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Amen. So we looked last week, if you remember, we seen that this was a promise from Jesus. And because it was from Jesus, we know that Jesus does not lie, does not change his mind. We've seen that and we know that, that Jesus just doesn't think of something and then an hour later change his mind. Everything's perfectly planned and carried out. And then we looked at how he opened the understanding of the disciples. And you know how that, we've we seen that they walked with him, they seen his miracles, he was teaching them, and yet here we see that he opened their understanding to the scriptures. He then told them that he was to suffer and that he would rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name. Then he told them that you are witnesses of these things and we looked at how we are these witnesses today. And then he gave them this wonderful promise, you will be endued with power from on high. Then we looked at Jeremiah 29 and 11, and we seen that this was not a personal promise for an, an individual. It was a powerful reminder that God was still in control. Jeremiah 29 and 11 is a reminder that even though we face difficulties in this life, God's promises are still true. If you remember, we looked and we seen how false prophets were telling God's people that they were going to be released and God was going to bless them. And Jeremiah told them, no, you will remain in captivity, Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And so the promise wasn't for deliverance. The promise was that in the midst of their, their, their trials, in the midst of their troubles, he would be faithful and would bring them through. You see, God can see things that we cannot he is with us, and whenever we trust in him, we can find peace, and we can find perfect rest. And the gospel message, folks, it's a wonderful message, but it's not a message of an easy life. It's not a message of freedom from pain and sickness. Just sharing with Peggy on Friday and talking about her illness at the moment. And, and you know, we're talking about, you know, this is going to happen until Jesus returns, we're going to get sick. We're going to face trials. And should the Lord tarry, some of us are going to die waiting on him returning. 
And so the gospel message isn't a promise of an easy life, but it's a promise of hope. Because, in, <clears throat> because the God that we serve, he overcame death itself. And he is walking beside us and working through us. And the wonderful thing is he has endued us with power from on high. We looked at this and it means that we can put on, we can clothe ourselves with his power in these last days. And again, thinking of Jeremiah 29 and 11, there will be hard times. There will be difficulties. There will be rejection. There will even be persecution. But when his church, the body of Christ, seek the infilling of the Holy Ghost, when his church do not constrain the power of God in their lives, in their churches, and in their land, we will see a mighty move of God. Because his plan is for his church to prosper. To prosper in the midst of trials. To prosper in the midst of persecution. To prosper in the midst of rejection. We would all love just to be <clears throat> free from sickness and free from trials and free from persecutions. But God is honest and does not lie. And he tells us these things will happen. But he also tells us that he will endure us. He will enable us by his spirit to see through these things. You know something, when we, we all know the word of God here. And when you read about the New Testament church, when they received the Holy Ghost, they became a mighty force for the gospel, a force that could not be stopped. Although they tried to stop them, they couldn't stop it. Thousands were saved. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost alone as Peter preached in the steps of Jerusalem. Many were healed. Many were delivered from demons and many lives were transformed because they walked forward with the power of the Holy Ghost. And the truth, church, is that the same God who changes not, the same God who was with them is with us today, working in and through us as he worked in and through them and calling us as he called them to reach the lost, to reach out, calling us and telling us as he told them that they have authority over sickness, they have authority over the devil, they have authority over demons, <clears throat> and at times... When God requires it, they have, or God allows it, they have authority even over death. You see, God had poured out his spirit in a sense of a, a, a taster, and maybe that's a bad way of putting it, in Mark 6. In Mark 6 and 7, it says, And Jesus called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Then we go to 12 to 13. It says, And they went out and preached that men should repent, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. So Jesus had sent these disciples out two by two. And when they came back, they must have been ecstatic to see what was being done. They must have been in awe of what the Lord was doing through them. Nobody's with respect to them. Society would have seen them as nobody's fishermen, tax collectors. And yet here they were, the power of God moving through them. You can just hear their conversation as they spoke to each other with excitement, uh, encouraging one another and seeing so much being done for the Lord. 
But then we go to Mark chapter 9, and we see a father, and he's bringing his son to Jesus and telling Jesus how he had asked his disciples to pray for him and cast out this spirit which was tormenting, controlling his son. And he said in Mark 9, verse 18, and whatsoever, about the boy says, wheresoever he taketh him, he, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spoke to the disciples, and they could not pass or cast him out. They should not cast him out, and they could not even do it. They couldn't cast him out. So here we have this poor father telling Jesus how this spirit at times took full control of his son. He threw himself into fires, into water. He, he hurt himself many times. And then Jesus cast out this evil spirit, and the lad was free. And the disciples were watching this, and one minute we were talking about the wonderful things, and you know, Peter may be talking about someone that was healed when they prayed and, and John saying, you want to be with us? Demons were fleeing. And then this party spoiler comes along. This father who was concerned about his son, the demon that they could not cast out. And so they waited until they were on their own with Jesus and they asked him why they could not do this. And Mark 9 and 29, Jesus said unto them, this kind come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. You see, Jesus was sending them out. And he wasn't just saying to them, just go ahead. This will all happen automatically. You just go and cast out and heal and go forth in my name. He, he wanted to teach them as he wants to teach us. There is a part to play for those who want God to use them. You have a role in it to, to fulfill before the Lord can move through you mightily. You have a, a, a part to play in it. And that part is prayer and fasting. Because prayer and fasting speaks of a hunger. A hunger for God to move a hunger for the lost, a hunger for the sick, to see them healed, for those in pain, to see them relieved from their pain. And that hunger is only displayed by our attitude towards prayer and towards fasting because that talks about our attitude towards God. A ten, five minute prayer before you go to sleep at night with the greatest respect isn't a prayer life. It's spending time before God, reading his word. And at times when you feel God calling you to do it, and at times when you feel a, a, a need which seems impossible, the solution is to get to prayer and fasting. You see, the, the New Testament church, they were continually praying and fasting before the Lord. And we read of that throughout the New Testament. In Acts 12, Herod the king had moved against the church. He had killed James, uh, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he seen how this had pleased those who opposed the church, he had Peter arrested and put in prison. And such was his desire to, to, to keep Peter in prison that he put him away in the, the, the inner part of the prison. And there were four quaternions watching over him. That's four 16 soldiers were watching over him to keep him. Herod was determined that Peter was going nowhere and he was going to die the next morning. 
And he was intending, after the, the days of unleavened bread were, were over, he was going to bring Peter forward to the people. And we see in Acts 9, verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. That was the solution to an impossible situation because none of them were soldiers. None of them had the training. None of them had the armory, armor to go into this prison and to free Peter. They would have lost their lives because not only did you have the 16 soldiers inside guarding them, you'd have had the soldiers in the fort where the prison was. And so it was an impossible task. And they didn't give up, church. They didn't think, there's nothing I can do. They didn't lose faith. They saw that Peter was going to follow the same path which, uh, unfortunately, James had and be killed with the sword. Well, what did they do? They prayed without ceasing for Peter. And that one, uh, Herod would have brought Peter out of the, or the, the or, sorry, where Herod had Peter in between these soldiers. Peter was sleeping. And again, this could talk of peace in his heart because he knew his fate in the morning. But he had that peace in his heart. And there's no joke lying in a prison cell awaiting your sentence to be carried out. I remember going to get a, a man from a cell. And I mean, this was a big lad. And they sent three of us. That's how big he was. And when, it, when we opened the door of the cell, we were taking him up to court. He'd been found guilty. He was going to be sentenced. He was crying like a baby terrified as he walked up the court he was shaking I actually took his arm just in case he would fall and here's Peter awaiting death with the peace of God on his heart sleeping between these soldiers then the angel of the Lord came upon him we were told that a light shone in the prison and he had to waken Peter <laughs> and he said arise up quickly and his chains fell off the angel then told Peter get up and follow me Peter went out and followed him, but even then we're told that Peter didn't realize what was happening was true. He thought it was a vision. As he passed the guards, as he came out of the prison, as he made his way to the house of Mary, he began to realize what had happened. Mary, the mother of John. And what was going on in Mary's house? A prayer meeting. They were praying. You see, church, what happened here was a factual, fervent prayer opened the way for Peter to be delivered from certain death. And we can face situations today as a church. We can look and we can think there's nothing we can do. We can look at society. We can look at how bad immorality and iniquity is getting in society. We can say, well, okay, just go downstairs and lock the doors, brother. And that's just, we'll hide in here out of the road. Or we can come before the Lord with a factual, fervent prayer. With prayer and with fasting for our land. With prayer and with fasting for our church, for our lives, for our family, for our children, for our grandchildren. And then God will move. And that's what I mean by the title I chose. What God can do if you let him. If you let him. Because prayer is important, church. It's so important. We all know that old saying, and it really is true. A church can only go forward on its knees. For the apostles, 
prayer was as important as breathing is to the human body. Many times it's recorded their thoughts in prayer. In Acts 6, when they were deciding to call out deacons, why? But we will give ourselves continually to prayer. Continually to prayer. Then we go to Acts 1 and 14, or go back, sorry, to Acts 1 and 14. And it says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Acts 2, 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. But as I said, there's more to prayer than just asking. Because there's a, a role for us to play in it. And that important part of prayer is belief also, is belief. And I believe that if you truly believe that God hears and answers your prayer, then you truly believe that there's the need for you to step aside in prayer and fasting. It's belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's belief that he will hear and he will answer your prayer, but here's the add-on. He will answer your prayer according to his will. If you're not praying in the will of God, don't expect God to answer your prayer. We need to pray in God's will. Lord, make me a millionaire. You're not praying in the will of God. Make me a servant of yours, Lord. Make me a servant of yours. Ephesians 3 16 to 20, says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. According to the power that worketh in us. Take that phrase or that verse apart yourself. Because many times in prayer meetings you'll hear someone quote the first part of that verse. For he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. According to the prayer that worketh in us. In other words, you're being told that Christ is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that you can even think, the things that you think impossible. But how is he doing it? It's the power that worketh in you. The Endowment of power from on high working in you. It's not your own strength. It's not your own wisdom. It's not your own knowledge. It's the power that worketh in you. What is that power? It's the endowment of power from on high. It's the Holy Ghost working in you. And when the Holy Ghost is working in you, church, God will be able to do the undoable. God will be able to help you to achieve the unachievable. God will help you to deliver the undeliverable. 
God will help you to bring his light into the darkest situations in other people's lives and their trials. And God wants to grant unto his church this power from on high that this will be the power working in you. But as I've said, church, there's a price to pay. You know, there are those that will tell us that as children of God, we deserve it. It's our inheritance that our prayers should be answered. They will tell us that the Lord should move through them because they're a child of God, that the Lord should use them in miraculous ways. They will tell you that they should be seeing signs and wonders following their ministry, and yet they never pray. They've never once fasted. They've never once sought the Lord. And yet they think that they deserve God to use them mightily. With respect, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. You can say, Lord, I want a Holy Ghost revival in this land, in this church. And God would say, well, why are you not praying and fasting for your church? I want a Holy Ghost revival in our land. I want to see the Isles of the Sea restored back to being Great Britain again. Well, then why are you not praying and fasting about it? Lord, I want to see my family saved. My son, my daughter, my grandchildren, my brother, my sister, my husband, my wife. Well, then the same question is going to come back to you. Why are you not praying about it? If it's such a need in your heart, why are you not fasting? Lord, I want to see this church filled to overflowing with men and women coming to know God as their Savior. Lord, I want to see two services on a Sunday morning. There's that many people coming in here. Well, why are you not praying about it then? Why are you not fasting? Why aren't you at church prayer meetings? Praying corporately. You see, church, according to the Bible that I read, the promise is here for us to grasp to take hold of. And the problem is we're not taking hold of it. And I believe the Lord is saying to us, stop waiting on me. Stop wanting me to use you. Let me use you. Do you get that? I think I said that wrong. God doesn't want us to wait to use him. He wants to use us. That's what I'm trying to say without getting tongue-tied. God wants you to break forth and claim and faith and claim the promise which he has given to you. He doesn't want you to constrain the move of the Spirit in your life and in your church. The Lord wants you, church, to break forth in the gifts of the Spirit, to break forth in tongues. He wants you to launch forth an interpretation. If someone once told me that interpretation is just for the pastors and the elders, it's not. If God has given you that gift, you break forth in it. Prophecy, the working of miracles. Claim it. That's what God is saying. And this will be the power that will work in you. It's going to take a bit of work. It's going to take a bit of humility. But you know something? God will open doors when you seek him. Genuinely seek him in the strangest of places, where you think, what happened there? I'll give you a wee thing happened during the week. I was in a shop, 
And in the shop, there was a young boy, high as a kite, with the drugs, God love him. And of course, the shop owners and people in the shop are watching him and walking around him. And so I got what I needed to get. And on the way out, they had this like heated cabinet. And in this heated cabinet, they had Aisher's beef sausage rolls. And I got the smell of it. Oh, it makes me hungry. <laughs> so I was looking at these Aisher's sausage rolls. And this young fella came up behind me. And I was thinking he wants to buy something there. So I stepped back and he said to me, no, no, you go ahead. And I said, no, thanks, I can't have them. I meant they're not gluten-free, that's why I couldn't have them. I was standing there saying, Lord, take away that's gluten-free. But anyhow, I walked out of the shop and the young boy walked out behind me and tapped my shoulder. And he says, don't worry, mate, I'll buy you one. And I thought, it nearly broke my heart. (laughs) And... I did have that opportunity to talk to him. Simple thing, you know, people will say, you know, there's a drug addict, there's no point in telling them about the Lord. And I've got to put the hand up. I never thought of going over to the young boy. I was just watching him. Not staring at him, but just watching him and having a little prayer in my heart, Lord, deliver him. But boy, that young drug addict taught me a lesson of humility. And God bless him for it. But see these situations, these are from God. And I want to be equipped for these situations. And I want you to be equipped for these situations. And they're only going to come, church, when there is a genuine hunger. It's good that we plan things. It's good that we try things. Fantastic. But you know, unless the Lord build a house, they labor in vain to build it. We need the move of God. My preaching isn't going to bring someone to a saving knowledge of the Lord. The conviction of the Holy Ghost through the Word of God is going to bring someone to a saving knowledge of the Lord. The anointing of God is going to bring people to a saving knowledge of the Lord while we praise the Lord. The anointing of God when we are in unity, when we put aside our differences, when we put a zip on the mouth of discord and disunity and come together and seek God's face, then the anointing of God falls. Read it. That's where the Lord commanded the blessings. We need to come forward. We need to step out. Church, I've been so blessed in the sense that I've had the opportunity to share God's word in India, in America, in Kenya. And you know something? When you give an altar call in any of these lands or any of these churches that have been you don't have to give a second altar call. When you tell people they'll be filled with the Holy Ghost, you haven't even got the call out of your mouth and there's people coming forward. You don't have to make a, a second altar call. They step out in believing faith. I've had the privilege of speaking in England, Scotland, and back here in Northern Ireland. And sometimes when you do an altar call, people look at you as if you're daft. You see, the problem I think is they're looking at Alan Stevens. They shouldn't be. They should be looking to the Lord because I can't do a thing for you as concerning the gifts of the Holy Ghost. I can only pray for you. And it's not everywhere. I've got to admit it was in Pastor Mark God's church one day and I remember preaching and giving an altar call and the, the altar was full of people 
even those that didn't come forward for prayer, they came forward to pray. And you know something? There was a mighty move of God that morning. Such a move of God. And it was nothing to do with me. It was the anointing of God. People just saying, I want that. And coming forward. We need to take hold of the promise. You see, God, church, and I'm speaking to every one of you, God can do mighty things in your life. You're not too old. You're not too young. I'm a woman. Well, God can move through you. I'm an old man. God can move through you. God can do mighty things in your life if you let him. If you let God move in your life. We've all desires, haven't we? We've all opinions, haven't we? But you know something? When we get on our knees before the Lord or even sit in a chair, lie on our bed, drive our car, if we talk to God and listen to God, and seek his face. God will do mighty things in your life. Church, I could keep you here for another hour telling you different things that have happened where God's spirit has moved. And I believe God can heal. I believe God can save. I believe God can transform. Things that I would never have thought that I would have seen, let alone personally been involved in, happened. Why? Because God moved by his spirit and his power. I've seen a man his family were standing waiting on him to die. And two days later he's sitting at the side of his bed and being moved to another hospital. Not because of anything I did but reaching out in faith and believing. Reaching out in faith. I've got to be honest with you. As I walked towards that man and seen his sisters crying and him sitting there, I actually said, Lord, what on earth am I going to say? Don't know this family. I was asked by a member of a church to go and see him. And so all I did was pray in the name of Jesus. And two days later, as I've said, that man was sitting by his bedside. Why? Because I just launched out in faith. You can launch out in faith. Certainly I believe in church when people come forward for prayer, the word of God's explicit. If any sick among you, let him call for the elders. The elders will pray. But that doesn't mean at home you can't pray for someone. That doesn't mean at school you can't pray for someone. That doesn't mean if you're visiting someone in a hospital in a nursing home that you can't pray for them. Oh, hold on, I have to send for the elders. Reach out in faith and pray. Reach out in faith and pray. God hears and answers prayer. God delivers. God sets captives free. Why? Because men and women prayed. Our queen, as Fel get quoted this morning, was a woman of prayer. And she touched millions of lives. Certainly it was her position and God used that position. Thank God for that. But just because you're not a king or queen doesn't mean God can't use you. God can use you in your home. God can use you to reach out to people. In my family, I'm known as a funeral preacher. Anytime somebody dies, I have to bury them. <laughs> but you know something? I can turn that and talk to them about the Lord. 
when I'm on my own organizing the funeral with them. And so I thank God for that opportunity. What does your family see you as? Do they even know you're a Christian? Can I be bold to ask that? Church, will you seek the face of the Lord?